0: If you have your Bible, you can open it to Galatians. Um, we took a pause for the Christmas season and then the last couple of weeks as well to uh, from our, our series, The Gospel is at Stake. But I want to draw your attention back to this image that we have, very intentional. Um, we're getting to the heart of the, of the vision behind this image. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but every time we enter in a new series, we have a, an image that kind of Projects the the direction that we feel like the book or the series is going, and this is a beautiful image. There is uh, people. There are people dying for the gospel here, and the gospel is at stake. And and throughout the whole book of Galatians, Paul is yelling and screaming most of the time. And I'll, we'll we'll get to like the most intense portion of Paul yelling and screaming is what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and. But he's yelling and screaming because this gospel is so vastly important. Um, and so I, I, as we get into to this message this morning, I wanted to direct your attention to this image because the gospel is at stake. And, and when, I, when I say the gospel is at stake, I don't mean that, you know, what, what I mean is life or death is at stake. And not just life or death physically, but life or death spiritually and, and our life with, with Christ as we know it is at stake with our understanding and our implication, uh, and, and preaching the gospel to our hearts. Our life, our joy is at stake with what we do with this gospel. Um, and we'll talk, uh, pretty hardcore about it this morning. So since we are, we took that like six week break from this, this series, I want to go back a little bit and give us a bit of background for what we've learned in the first two chapters of the book of Galatians. We're going to be just in the first three verses of Galatians three for the most part this morning, but, uh, Give you a little bit of background first. um, Galatia is a region. uh, When when Paul writes most of his books, Corinthians is to a, a city called Corinth. Ephesians is to a city called Ephesus. Galatia is the only book that he writes that is to a region of churches. And on the first missionary journey that he took, he went through six different cities throughout this region of Galatia, preached the gospel, won a bunch of converts, and as he was doing that, people kicked him out of the city. And so he'd go on to the next city throughout this region of Galatia. And then when he was finished, he went back into each one of these six cities and appointed churches. And he, he, he said, okay, you gather together and I want you and you to be the elders and leaders of this church. And he'd go on to the next city and he gathered the believers again together and said, I want you and you to be the, the pastors, the elders in this church. And so Paul established all of these churches that he, he, he suffered in every one of these places and nearly died twice, once they, they threatened to kill him, and the, the people that were around him got word of it, and they got him out of the city before he was able to be killed. And then the next city that he went into, they didn't get word in time, and they actually stoned Paul right outside the city, and they thought that he was dead. But God wasn't through with him, and he raised him, and, and Paul was able to continue to preach. And so Paul suffered and nearly died to plant these six churches in this region called Galatia. And he writes this book of Galatians because of the second thing that's on, on the list there, the Judaizers have come in. The Judaizers are, are, are these ultra-religious people, but they, they kind of get the gospel a little bit right, but they kind of get the gospel a lot wrong. And so that's what, what worries me, is we can, we can put the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders, that, those people that killed Jesus, we can look at them and see that they were wrong, but we connect with these Judaizers a lot, because we sort of get the gospel, but not fully. We don't preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. So these Judaizers come into these churches in Galatia after Paul's established these churches and they add following the law of Moses to the gospel. So they they submit, yes, Jesus was Lord, he was God, he came to this earth, he died, he resurrected, that's great. Place your faith and your trust in him. But you also have to follow all the rules and all the laws of Moses in order to be a true follower of Christ. And Paul contends with that like no that's that 's not the case, so the first chapter of the book of Galatians is paul 's dealing with his apostleship and his his gospel purity, and I want to define what I mean by apostle. An apostle is someone who is the teacher of God for a region for an area maybe maybe it 's a city, maybe it 's a state, maybe it 's a, a a nation uh, it's, it's a, a big overarching teacher for an entire region is an apostle. And Paul is an apostle here. And, and these Judaizers were denying Paul's apostleship. They were saying, you are not an apostle. You are not preaching. You do not spend time with Jesus. You are not someone who has the truth. These Judaizers were denying his apostleship. And so in Galatians 1.1, Paul says, I am an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Christ. I'm an apostle because of what Christ has done in me and what he's spoken to me, and now I have this authority to speak in you because Christ has given it to me. So Paul is defending his, his apostleship. He actually calls himself an apostle there that I just read in Galatians 1. And he also says twice in talking about gospel purity, um, he says twice that anyone who has preached a gospel other than one that I preached to you, let him be accursed. And that's a, that's a big word, let him be cursed it's, it's a demonic word. Let him be overtaken by demons. Get him out of here. He can't speak. Don't allow a false gospel other than the one that I preach to you to, to make its way into your heart. He also says he's preaching God's gospel and not man's. He, he talks about being a curse in verses 8 and 9. And then uh, he talks about preaching the gospel being not man's gospel, but the gospel that, that he has been received from God. And then the last thing. He has received this gospel through revelation, uh, Galatians one twelve. He says, "I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ." So, what Paul is he's he stating here? He's he's contending for is that yes, I am an apostle, and I need you to understand the purity of the gospel. And Paul is very, very violent in his words, very intense in his words, and that's why we have the the, the difficult, ugly, like intense. People being stoned because the gospel is at stake, and Paul doesn't mix his words at all. So, what is Paul's theology? What is he speaking about? And that's what Galatians 2 is about. First, Justification comes by faith and not by works. And we'll land on that a little bit this morning and kind of flesh that out a little bit more as we get into Galatians chapter 3. Uh, but what does it mean to be justified? I, I, that's a religious term, and, and I don't want to just stop and, and decide that everybody understands what justified means. So let's, let's define what this word is that we're working with. Justified, because of sin that's in us, we don't have the right to stand before God because of the sin that's on us. Justification, being justified before God, means that we have the right now to stand before God because Christ has paid the penalty for our sin and now we have this privilege to stand before God. So that is how we are justified. So we are justified by our faith and not by what we do. And that flies in the face of religion and flies in the face of what these Judaizers are saying. The Judaizers come into this this church And these churches in Galatians say, yes, by faith, but not by faith alone. By faith and works are you saved. And Paul is contending for this because it brings death to our hearts. If we think that we can gain favor of any kind in any way, in any shape with God by what we do, it brings death to us. We'll talk about that as we get into the first three verses of of chapter 3. Let me read Galatians 2.16, because this is the, <clears throat> the beauty of, of the gospel, of this being justified by faith and not by works. Yet we know that a person is not justified, having the right to stand before God, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law no one will be justified. Paul is ultra repetitive. He says the same thing three times in one verse. You're not justified by the work by works. You're justified by faith. You're not justified by works. You're justified by faith. You're not justified by works. You're justified by faith. That's Galatians two sixteen over and over and over again, speaking it into our hearts and into our heads. Because, and I'll, we'll, we'll get to a, a Martin Luther quote in just a little bit. We have to beat this thing into our heads over and over and over and over again because our natural bend is towards religion. We meet Christ, we engage Him through faith, and then our life begins to happen and we begin to get distracted from Him and we are concerned with pleasing Him with what we do in, in our works. And that's a false gospel. So what is the practical outflow of this faith versus works? Paul teaches that as part of his theology in Galatians 2.20. This is, uh, if you're looking for a verse to memorize for 2011, Galatians 2.20 is a great verse to memorize. I have been crucified with Christ. This verse may be uh, familiar to you, and so you might be able to pass by that first sentence, but I want you to stop and look at the weight of this sentence. I have been crucified with Christ. You guys, crucifixion, brutal, awful, miserable death. Paul's theology, the outworking of this faith versus works mentality is I've been crucified because a big part of faith, we, we think of faith as synonymous with trust. It's, it's a part of trust, but it's more surrender, complete and utter surrender. And not just don't kill me, surrender, but Please kill me, surrender. This is what God is is calling us to. I have been crucified with Christ. Let that sentence, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that beautiful sentence. I have been crucified with Christ. That's the outflowing of this gospel in our hearts. When we accept, when we say, I place my faith, I place my surrender to you, God, kill me what you're saying and if you're not saying that you're not saying i'm a believer in you jesus and that's huge and i don't want i want i don't want to get past what i just said and to to push that aside because a lot of us in in our middle class suburbia trust in in religious activity that we've done in the past or maybe our parents have done in the past and don't ever come to the place where we can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's, I have been damaged a little bit with Christ, or I have, I have seen Christ, but now I'm going to go do what I do. This is vastly important for us to come to grips with. And Paul is jumping up and down, screaming and yelling the, the massive importance of this. It is no longer, reading back from Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, trust, and surrender, and complete surrender. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by complete trust and complete surrender in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Death to self. Death to self. So let's transition today. I've been talking a lot already this morning about uh, a rant that Paul is going on here. And, and I, I don't want us to, to miss this. I want to show you guys a little piece of a video of, of some serious rants. And, and understand, this is what Paul is doing here. This is going to kind of make you chuckle a little bit. But this is, this is ultimately what Paul is doing here. So hit that. Today. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm forty. I'm not. A, I'm not a kid. What's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Four picks against Grossman and two fumbles. What do you see about the Bears? Uh, we shut them down that way. No, You know, I mean, we. We just. Uh, we, the Bears are what we thought they were. They're what we thought they were. We played them in the third game. Everybody played three quarters. The Bears are who we thought they were. That's why we took field. Now, if you want to crowd them, then crouch. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. That's how I feel. Sick and tired of getting out rebounded. 25 offensive rebounds. First time we block out, we get called for block out. We're pushing people. Meanwhile, they on the other court, grabbing the rebound going over the top, and grabbing them. We get one offensive rebound, and then we have call for over the back. We, we don't block over very well, and we're not getting calls, one or the other. That's where I'm frustrated. That's where my whole frustration comes in, offensive rebound. The entire thing came down the offensive rebound. I got every step of the offensive rebound, and we didn't get one of them. Okay, so I show that. <clears throat> one, because I, I think it's funny to watch coaches go nuts. Um... But two, to get your mind off of, you know, as Paul is writing here, he's not, he's writing with this sort of intensity where, I think it's hysterical, the guy, like, the first thing, his entrance into the thing is throwing papers down and he's like, I'm mad! It's really funny. But the image is the same image that Paul is portraying here and writing with here. If if uh, if Daniel Tosh had been around when Galatians was written, what the first Galatians 3 1 would have been like a web redemption for Daniel Tosh, right? And some of you guys know who I'm talking about, some of you guys don't. Uh, uh, but, but that's that's exactly what's happening here. He is screaming, yelling, crazy mad at these people because it's, it's a really important thing that he's talking about. So, imagine this viral video of, of Paul yelling this rebuke. And don't hear me saying, oh foolish Galatians. Hear this crazy Michigan basketball coach yelling, I'm mad at these people. Because understand what we just talked about. Paul suffered and nearly died twice for these people. And for the gospel to be proclaimed in their hearts and in their lives. And Christ suffered and died so that we could understand and know the gospel. This is so important. It is so, so important that Paul would scream through with his pen at these people. He says, O oh, foolish Galatians! Exclamation point. O oh, foolish Galatians! If you don't understand the gospel that I proclaim to you, if you believe a gospel other than the one that I proclaim to you, other than crucify yourself... Because of what Christ did for you in in complete and utter faith, trust and surrender to who he is. If you don't believe that, you are foolish. And these Judaizers have come in and make them believe something other than this gospel. And now here is Paul and here is Rick before you screaming, foolish Galatians. Because it's so vastly important. Getting the gospel wrong is worthy of a harsh rebuke. I want to say that again. If Married guys, if you go out and, and sleep with another woman, the rebuke that you deserve for that is less than the rebuke you deserve for getting the gospel wrong. And Paul is screaming here at you, if you get the gospel wrong, oh foolish Galatians. Practical application of this. We have to daily, daily remind ourselves of this all the time, beating it into our heads. Martin Luther says this. This is not Americanized. There's some hard, old-school English words here. Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I hearken to the gospel which teacheth me, not what I ought to do, for that is a proper office of the law. The purpose of the law is to teach us what we ought to do and show us that we can't get there. This is Luther. But what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hath done for me. The law teaches us what we ought to do. Christ has done that for us. To wit, that he suffered and died and delivered me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and believe it. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's so simple, yet so deep and profound. So simple. The gospel willeth me to receive this, that Christ suffered and died, deliver me from sin and death, and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine. I have a theology book, and I took a, a, a year's worth of seminary classes on theology. The book is that thick, filled with philosophy and doctrine and theology and all this crazy stuff that I don't understand, and, and I spent so much time trying to learn it, and it's just really difficult. And here, Luther says, The gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Beat it into your head Paul is repetitive I'm gonna be repetitive and Paul is screaming and I'm gonna scream because we need to beat this thing into our heads all the time how do we do this remind yourself of the gospel saturate yourself with it listen to gospel-centered preaching read big chunks of Scripture read Romans over and over and over again read Galatians over and over and over again Read books about the gospel. Get in community with people. Living life in gospel-centered community. And that is the focus of the gospel. And that is the, one of the, the major tenets of this church is to live a gospel-centered life. And to preach this into our head all the time. Remind yourself. Read big chunks of scripture. Have a daily devotional. That's part of what, what our vision for 2011 is. That's to engage Christ and engage his scripture and engage devotion to who he is. The second thing that Paul is saying when he says, Oh foolish Galatians, is the importance of the doctrinal purity of the church. Uh, again, Galatia is a collection of churches that Paul has planted and knows their effectiveness as a body of believers on mission is dependent upon their full understanding of the gospel. I'm going to say that again. Paul understands. He's screaming, oh foolish Galatians, not just for their own personal sakes, but for the effectiveness of their mission. If And we can understand from that, if we don't corporately understand the vitality and the importance of the gospel, our effectiveness on mission is at least tainted and probably almost worthless. We have to fully engage the doctrinal purity of the church. We have to fully engage the gospel because of its vast importance and how it speaks and predicts our mission, personally and corporately. The third thing that he's saying we can take from O Foolish Galatians is the importance of Community. Without community and trust and respect, there can be no rebuke. Without Paul living among these people, nearly dying twice, and, and them understanding. Do you know, here's the, the beauty of that. Paul almost dies in one city, goes to the next city, and and they they actually try to kill him, throw stones at him for a couple hours, and he's, he's nearly dead. Paul so loves those people that he goes back to that same city where those same people are that want to kill him. How much respect and love and admiration that these people have to have for Paul here. Enough for Paul to scream and yell at them. Application of this for us. I want to ask you three questions in relation to community. In light of, of, of Paul yelling at these people. Are you touchy? Question number one. If somebody brings a rebuke to you, are you how do you respond? How do you respond when people you trust and respect respect bring criticism to you How do you respond to, to people bringing criticism, criticism to you that you trust and respect And what are you doing to build trust and respect with people around you so that you have relational collateral? I'll say that one again so you understand it. What are you doing to build trust and respect with people around you so that you have relational collateral? God intends for us to live in community, and he intends for us when somebody is off of the gospel to grab them by the throat, just like Paul is doing. And say, What are you doing? You're foolish. What are you doing? And so we we can contemplate this notion. In two ways. How would we receive that if somebody brought to us this? And secondly, what are we doing with people around us, with our immediate circle that we connect with, to build relational collateral, to be able to trade with? If, if I go up to somebody I don't know, I don't know Scott very well. We've, we've gotten to know each other a little bit through his coming here. But if I went to him and, and yelled at him for being foolish maybe not. If I went to my wife and did that same thing, I have a little bit more relational credit and clout with her, right? So what are we doing to build this collateral, this clout around us so that we can speak into lives and have lives speak into our own? The second f- sentence in Galatians 3.1 says, who has bewitched you? Bewitched here is like a marketing scheme. Uh, one of my one of my favorite series of commercials right now is the Miller Light commercials, um, where the guy walks up to the bar and he says, uh, "I'll have a, a light beer," and uh, the bartender always says, "Do you want a Miller Light or 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 this one, this bad tasting beer?" Um, and he's like, "I don't care." And so she gives him the bad tasting beer and says, "Come back when," and and it, it always makes this guy look like a complete fool, right? The, the most recent one, it's like come back when uh, when you give her girlfriend her pants back, and he's got like these skinny jeans on, and he can barely walk. Have you seen this one, this new commercial? So, and and other ones are like, this guy has got sunglasses on inside, and it's really dark inside, and uh, this other guy's got like dragons all over his clothes. You guys have seen these commercials, right? And It's, it's really funny, but what they're trying to—the marketing strategy here is, if you don't choose Miller Lite, you're like this dope with some— dopey guy with his skinny jeans with dragons all over him or wearing sunglasses inside. So if you don't like our product, you're an idiot. And that's what, that philosophy, our capitalistic culture trying to say you need our product and if you don't have our product, you're dumb or you're stupid because you don't buy our product and this is, that understanding, that thought is what Paul is saying with bewitched who has bewitched you it's like a marketing scheme that somebody has told you that you are less with christ if you don't follow the law of god if you don't follow complete the law of moses instead of uh, just completely surrendering to christ and who he is we we think we have to to do something to gain his favor and these judaizers have bewitched us like this marketing scheme, that we're a dope if we don't do what they say to do. <clears throat> the third sentence in Galatians 3.1 says, it was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the heart of the gospel. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Our life comes from the fact that Christ was crucified. Oh, foolish Galatians, getting their attention with yelling at them, and we fleshed out what that means. Who has bewitched you? Who has lied to you, given you some marketing scheme to take your attention away from the truth? Here is the truth. Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That is the rebuke now, okay, so what, what do I do with this? How do I grow spiritually? How do I live this thing out? That comes in Galatians 3 2 and 3. Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? People ask me a lot, how how do I grow grow spiritually? How do I grow in Christ? Here is the answer in Galatians 3, 2, and 3. The Spirit is the change agent for your soul. Let's say that again. The Spirit of God is a change agent for your soul. It's not received by following rules. It's not received by following rules. It's not received by following rules. We receive the Spirit simply by faith. And I wish we could remove our religious doctrine from our head so that we can truly hear when when the words are spoken. When we read faith in Scripture, we would see crucified. I kill myself. I die to myself. My flesh is gone. It's crucial for us to understand the gospel, to live this out practically, to understand that the spirit is the change agent for our lives and for our hearts, and to grow spiritually is to surrender better, to die better, to die more fully. Look around the people around you, and here's a, a truth that I have seen. I remember when I was in high school, growing up in a youth group, my, my youth pastor was a guy named Rex Alexander, and he was a beautiful man. I was, I count it a blessing to get to sit under his ministry as a high school student. And the thing that I remember most, I remember my, my senior year, we always had Thursday night of camp was the, the, you know, everybody cried around the campfire and everybody said something sweet and beautiful and Whatever. I remember the thing that I said, because I was about to graduate and go off to, to school, I, I, I said, it's been a pleasure and an honor to spend these years with this man who has figured out how to die to himself. The, I, I had a, another friend who is connected with a, a guy who is this, a, a great, he's an apostle for the, the United States of America, and, and this guy got to to connect with him, and he, and he said to me, "The the one thing that this guy has got figured out is that he has figured out how to die to himself. Look around you at the people that you respect and trust, and and you you respect their walk with God. Chances are that person has somehow figured out a way to die to themselves, to kill their flesh." to destroy who they are. We can very easily, when people come to me and say, how do I grow spiritually? Usually, they've been spending a lot of time trying to check off a spiritual checklist. I memorized some scripture, I went to church every day, I prayed every day, I did all these things for God, and I just, I can't seem to grow. I can't seem to, to be more intimate with God today than I was yesterday, It's because in religious activity, pride reigns. And the flesh is exalted. I'm crucified with Christ. When pride reigns, the spirit is killed. That's why we have laid out this this vision for 2011 and Dave has has come across this image. Throw that image up there. Um, That is... That's a beautiful picture of where we want to go as a church, of where we need to be to gain this intimacy with the Father. There is meekness written all over this. God kneeling and praying over a chair, there's humility all over this. I can't, God, please kill me, take my desires away. I I want to know you. I want to stop trying. I want to surrender to who you are. I want to surrender to your gospel. See the posture of surrender, of humility, of meekness. I was talking with a friend the other day. I won't say his name because a lot of you guys know him. Uh, But he's not shy about telling a story. Uh guy who has wrestled for much of his life with drugs and alcohol abuse and kid who grew up in the church, committed his life to Christ as a nine-year-old and spent somewhere seventh, eighth grade until about a year ago uh, wrestling, struggling with drugs and alcohol in and out of relationship with Christ this whole time. Sometimes he's striving to rid himself of this desire to get drunk or get high. Sometimes he's completely engaged in that, all the time, continually. He's tried so hard to rid himself of this behavior outside of religion, outside of the spiritual context, just personally, because he understands what it does to his family, and he tries to rid himself of that unsuccessfully. He tries, in religious ways, to rid himself of that, and... He tells the story. He was in prison, walking along a red line that all the people in prison have to walk along when they go from their cell to the dining hall. So he's walking along this line when it just completely dawned on him to stop trying. Stop trying to rid himself of his own desires. And, And two years later, he's still wrestling with trying to push... Out his own desires. He's still trying to, to operate in his own abilities, operate in his own flesh. Uh, but I, I said he's walking along that, that line and, and he, he really gave himself to Christ. He says for the first time they're walking along that line, but he still continued to operate in his own flesh. And he says that as he was wrestling through those times, he was still trying to 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 expel his desires, his craving for drugs and alcohol, even after Christ had entered into his life, trying, operating his own flesh to expel these wrong desires. And it's only been within the last, like, three months that he's come to this understanding that he is powerless to expel his flesh-centered desires. Let's say that again. It's only in the last three months that he has come to the understanding that he, in himself, is powerless to expel his desires. And he knows that he's vulnerable and in daily need to have God expel his desires from within his heart. And this is where I I want to... It's really easy for this guy... Because when he gives in the desires of his heart, he's drunk and he's high and he's rebellious and you don't want to be next to him. For us, our fleshly desires, my fleshly desires, are really, really, really subtle. Your fleshly desires are probably really, really subtle. For my friend, everybody knows he's off the wagon. For me, how I spend two hours choosing myself or choosing Christ, I want to just please myself and, and please who I am. I want to give in to the cravings of my flesh. But those manifestations, the cravings of my flesh, I can probably give in to those all the time and, and you guys would never know. And what I rob myself of is intimacy with God. And what you rob yourself of is intimacy with God. That's why community is so vastly important. Because the manifestations of the desires of our flesh can be really, really subtle. And we're really, really good at hiding them. Even the ones that are subtle, we're good at hiding. But if we really want to understand what it means to be crucified with Christ, we have to to daily lay down in front of Christ, just like this image. Daily lay ourselves down and say, "I can't, God, please take them away from me." This is the heart of the gospel. Listen closely, because this is huge. This is what it means to follow Christ. Lay your crucify yourself daily. Every single minute of every single day crucify your flesh because your desires lead to death. And most of the time your desires are subtle or you're really good at hiding them from everybody. And so you wind up mired in mud and nasty grossness because you have no idea what it means to be in deep, intimate relationship with Christ. You have no idea the beauty and joy that comes with that. Listen Closely, this is the path to true joy, to true intimacy, to true purpose for your life. I want to leave you guys with two quotes from Luther. They're in your bulletin because they're so vastly important. It seems to reason unlikely that the Holy Spirit is received only by believing what we hear. And nothing else is required of us. But rather, we must set aside all our works and give ourselves only to hearing the gospel. Seems unlikely. We can't grasp the fact that I don't have to do anything to gain relationship with God. It doesn't make any sense to us. So because of that, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over and over again. The second quote. Those who want to ex- exercise themselves for righteousness must first exercise themselves in listening to the gospel. Crucify yourself. Surrender the walk away theme that I want us to walk out of this room with this morning is live by the Spirit. Stop trying to be perfect. Surrender yourself to the gospel. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for so many things this morning. I thank you for... Showing the beauty of the truth of this to my heart, Father, and giving me the desire to crucify myself, Father. And I beg of you now that you would give give me whatever I need to, to crucify myself, to die to myself, God. Because I want to have intimacy with you, Father, and I want to call people to this beautiful intimacy with you, Father. God, I pray for those in this, in my hearing this morning, Father, that we would all learn to crucify ourselves, give us what we need to die to ourselves, God, to to understand the beauty of the gospel, to continually beat it into our heads, to lay down our works, Father, lay down our religion, and instead fillet ourselves at the altar of yours. God, I thank you for the the simplicity of the gospel. And while it's so simple, we will never measure the depth of it. And I thank you for a church that would gather seeking your truth, God. Lord, I pray for every relationship in this room, God. Every relationship that these people have even outside of this room, Father, that we would leverage those relationships for the gospel, God. Lord, I am so fleshly unworthy to to make these proclamations, Father. But the beauty of it all that you use broken, flesh-filled people, God, to proclaim your truth, Father. Lord, I I beg of you to, to empty my desires and replace them with yours. God, I pray that we would all take our delight in you and you would empty us and fill us with yourself. in Christ's perfect name that I pray.